Yeah, we're we're working with some technological bandwidth issues here tonight. Um, we're back. We took a break. We got up. We stretched our legs. Got something to drink. Sylvia tried to get everybody to turn off any Wi-Fi system in her house so that she can have all the bandwidth for our continued Zoom call here. Um, mine is working. mine is uh, <laughs> iffy, but we'll do our best. So Sylvia, yeah. you got a story. You want to um, want to review and have the professor give his point of view. So why don't yes. you take it away? So this came out in January, and I was trying to find the article that I wanted to do that happened like recently. But it's a similar thing. It's a similar topic um, here in Oregon. And uh, the title, or this comes from the Beaverton Valley Times. Um, and the art, this original article came out January 22nd of 2020. Blue Lives So just before uh, COVID, stay-at-home orders were schools, schools were still going. Blue Lives Matter flag in Beaverton School District is complicated symbol. That's the uh, headlines. Um, it says... Ashia Osman made sure made office of a school resource officer at, at Aloha High School. Osman said from the office window she and other students could catch a glimpse of a black and white American flag with one stripe in blue. The thin blue line flag or Blue Lives Matter flag as it's also referred to began cropping up in law enforcement communities across the U.S. in 2014. Um, now, I bring it up because I'm like, here we have media that is, well, let me just go ahead and finish because I got lots, I mean, I already just from this reading, it was similar to the same journalistic style as the other one. Police say it serves as a symbol of solidarity, representing the inherent danger in their job. For them, it's supposed to pay homage to fallen law enforcement officers, as well as those who continue to work in the profession each day. For others, including many students and teachers of color in the Beaverton School District, the flag is an antithesis to the Black Lives Matter movement. It service to the United States roughly a year after Black Lives Matter was established. When I first saw that flag, I was kind of shocked because they turned a group like Black Lives Matter that's fighting for the justice of people killed by police into Blue Lives Matter that's just about the officers, Oshman recalled. The flag hung in the office of Washington. 
Jefferson County Sheriff's Deputy Dylan Leach, who serves as the armed on campus officer in Aloha High School and the International School of Beaverton. Leach has worked for Washington County Sheriff's Office since 2008. Teachers and students say the flag and its related sentiment carry a deeper, more complicated theme. I want to stop there because that's where, you know, because the gist of the whole the whole story is this complicated, you know, issue of that flag. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to stop because I, I can go on. I'm just going to stop and let, I mean, your thoughts and then I'll jump in as I'm, yeah, your thoughts. Cool, cool. Um, well, my thoughts on the, on the, uh, the, the, my thoughts actually get drawn directly to the flag itself. <laughs> because of what flags represent and like the kind of work that they do, um, culturally, rhetorically, socially, um, even uh, nationally. <laughs> Right. Uh, it, it does certain kind of, a certain kind of work in each one of these particular kind of areas here just because it's a flag. Right. That's one. Two, I think about the origins of that flag. And I was I was. I don't know uh, if, if lucky enough is the right word to actually use. Right. But uh, I was a, I remember what led up to the announcement or the first time I ever saw that flag, <laughs> right? It was, it looked right. similar to right now, right? Where we have protests um, specifically over anti-black uh, uh, racist state sanctioned violence, right? As like the impetus and the cause and a group of protesters come out, right? They end up catching fire you know with the with the with the chant and you know a movement and a phrase black lives matter right you know hands up don't shoot you know so all of this is actually happening and and at the time you have in the conversation you were right right like kind of in the popular news media conversation you have now right just somebody right some pundit right who just says well what about blue lives Whoa, time out, time out, <laughs> time out, mm-hmm. time out. Okay. The moment that the very concept of a blue lives, um, a blue lives mm-hmm. does not make sense to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I don't call my uh, officer Jakovsky, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, the first officer I ever met as a kid growing up where I grew up, right? Uh, he's not blue. He was mm-hmm. a white dude with the last name Jakovsky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like that was somebody yeah. who he was one of my local neighborhood policemen. Mm-hmm. So I knew him because he was he'd always come through to the neighborhood watch committee. If you start adding in like these kind of um, artificial layers mm-hmm. that just quite simply one highlights the, the, the disconnect and really just how wrapped up in a certain kind of... Um, a certain kind of lens some 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 folks might actually kind of be right and so like for that like when i see that i'm like oh snap wait a minute like yo we gotta talk we gotta mm-hmm. talk off the top because like none of those people who are out there protesting 
want problems with the police. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Nobody wants problems with the police, not in that way, right? It's not about like, you know, it's not that we're not talking about courage in that kind of way, right? <laughs> you know, that's yeah. not the kind of courage we've been talking about. We're talking about moral courage, right? Yeah. You know, fortitude, so on and so forth, enough to make transformation. In order to sustain and fulfill the promise of that transformation, right? Like we have to be able to deal deal in, in, in facts and reality, right? So that means that it requires a willful recognition of the humanity that lives in another individual. Yes. And when it comes to the flag, right? the that says right blue lives matters like off the top that tells me that that is an exercise whether consciously or unconsciously right in perpetuating a kind of myth or a kind of cognitive dissonance that would never could never be sustainable mm -hmm. if it the moment it becomes sustainable you have you you got new problems on your hands. Mm -hmm. You have a brand new problem on your hand. Now this is and and let me be very very clear. Um, I'm not saying I'm not saying, and I don't want to actually make it seem like um, you know cops are all one kind of people. That's actually part of the point, uh, mm -hmm. part of my problem with the with the flag, mm -hmm. right? So oftentimes, you know, resistance, you know, or kind of, eh, I'm not quite sure, you know, like on the Blue Lives Matter type of thing. Anytime that comes up, like in a popular public discourse, like is it auto people automatically jump to the point or to the conclusion. There's a tendency, right, that folks kind of that, 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 that ends up popping up, which is that, you know, you, you're against somehow police men, right, or police women or the people. Mm -hmm. That's not the point. My point is blue lives... <laughs> Blue Lives does that. Mm -hmm. I don't have to. Mm -hmm. The flag does that. Mm -hmm. The flag disconnects those officer shields from the bodies that they're actually attached to. Mm. When you just quite simply conceptualize and think of them and refer to them, even in passing discourse, oh yeah, I saw Blue Lives over there. Why? Because guess what? Off the top, guess what a blue person is? is do we recognize blue people as human? Mm-mm. Mm I've not seen not near one particular ethnicity or group or nope. kind of people, right, in human history be referred to as blue. Mm -hmm. Those blue people over there, right? Like, I mean, the very concept mm -hmm. of race in and of itself is so, like, is so, like, flimsy that, you know, it, it can't even sustain a new kind of iteration of it. Like, there's no more. The Blue Lives illustrates the dehumanization that lies at the heart of the concept, the very concept of race in and of itself. Mm -hmm. You're blue. You're not human. That means that it now becomes more easy to dehumanize you mm -hmm. and to objectify you. Mm -hmm. So I just don't really, I mean, like, I, you know, peace to the officers who are putting their lives on the line every single day and actually, like, engaging in community policing, for mm -hmm. real. Seriously, mm -hmm. I know some of you. And, and, and some of you, many of you, I don't know, right? But keep doing what it is that you're doing the real kind of question and conundrum for me is like officers of color or black officers who find themselves too black for the badge and too blue for the brothers yeah like where do they kind of what kind of room do they have to express their agency or how are they feeling right now you know like i mean those are that's a difficult position to try to, you know, be situated and talk about being stuck between a rock and a hard place, right? 
Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, interesting enough is uh, I didn't even know that you knew about that you were going to bring this story. And the, my friend was part of, she, she wrote one of the first uh, emails to the superintendent of the school about this guy. Like, my friend really? knows all about this. I, I, I think I'm going to have to have her on. Because she, she was the one that started, she worked at that high school. She's no longer there because they, would, they refused to do anything. They refused yeah, to have him take it down. After she's, I mean, and she's a, she's fucking inti- amazingly intelligent woman. Uh, a writer. I, she might even teach English, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, and just, yeah, so, yeah, she did, she, she writes, just, I mean, she knows what she's fucking talking about, too, right? She knows what she's fucking talking about. And so just the layers and layers and laying out, like, this is why it's not appropriate. This is why it's affecting our kids of color. And they didn't do anything. Like, and they say shit like, it's a complicated issue. It's not fucking complicated. It's racist. Done. How is this complicated? Exactly. It's, it's not complicated at all. It's racism. Can we address it <laughs> so that way we can move on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and for me, it was like, um, you know, it's even how the media is slowly changing the history, mm-hmm. you know, the history of it now, which is now it is something that represents fallen soldier or, you know, not soldiers, but fallen officers and, you know, and everybody, like, I think, oh, well, I want to stand by, mm-hmm. you know, the following with that flag. I mean, man, you guys must really hate officers. And it's like, it had nothing, it, it was brought out, nothing to do. Yes, it has to do with the fallen officers, but it was a counter protest against Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where it wasn't like, even before Black Lives Matter, we're carrying this flag around since the first officer was killed and we've had this for centuries you know whatever it no it specifically came out as a counter protest because and and what is black lives because of the police brutality the murders that were happening at the hands of police officers mm-hmm. and and when they say that which it, it's it's complicated again it is not complicated it's history it's history that you want to change to kind of downplay the seriousness of police brutality, policing practices in communities of color, and you want to kind of whitewash it so that people don't get uprise and up and, uh, you know, get angry. Because that's what they've done with history throughout our time. We don't want people to get angry because if they get angry, they might want to do something about it. So let's. You know, let's tone it down. It's complicated. Yeah, not complicated at all. And I, I, I would like to see if they're going to be flying that flag post George Floyd. Now, I, I'll bet you twenty dollars it's not up there in September. I, I don't know about that because the Beaverton. Uh, so Beaverton, Damon, for your reference, is a kind of a suburb of Portland. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. um, very white, more white, definitely. I mean, we're all white up here, but, you know, <laughs> it's, it's one of the concentration of white <laughs> neighborhoods, sure. you know. Sure. 
And um, so they recently increased their police budget. <laughs> so they're already kind of saying which one they're in. You know, I mean, I I don't I don't know. Maybe maybe okay. Let's put a little sliver of hope in there. Maybe they'll it'll be taken down, but we'll see because yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh- um, I say that too because in Multnomah County, they had dollars for a lawsuit of a girl that um, had filed a complaint about the same thing that Blue Lives Matter was, you know, hanging up uh, in the uh, in the office space where she could see, and she was offended and had requested that it be taken down, and uh, she was awarded a thousand dollars. Um, because this came out article April 19th, 2000, April 19th, 2019, Blue Lives Matter means Black Lives Matter. That was the the lawsuit. And then that, in this article here, that's when they were talking about where the Blue Lives Matter came from, because her attorney was basically saying, you know, again, like what I said, which was, this was a counter protest against Black Lives Matter. It had nothing to do with the solidarity uh, of, you know, fallen police officers. This had, this, this was appropriated, appropriated from Black Lives Matter movement Mm -hmm. and uh, was awarded. So, I don't know, maybe this, maybe these students could you know, sue the school district. I have no, but I'm like, yeah, at the same time, I'm yeah. like, this is supposed to be an, an, this is supposed to be a place of learning yeah. where children should be safe in the school. And yet they have to see this. The kids of color have to see this. Like it, it's means something totally. It's like displaying your Confederate flag, displaying your little Nazi symbol up there. You know, it's that impactful, it, you know, to communities of color to see that. It carries the same kind of weight to it. And uh, again, it's complicated, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. It's complicated, Sylvia. It's complicated. And that's why I say, no, it's not complicated. You, you know, complicated. You know, it's, it's, it's really not that complicated. What all it really takes, <clears throat> all it really takes is just a little bit of moral courage. Mm-hmm. It takes a little bit of moral courage to actually sit down have a conversation with the students. Say, hey, come here. Sit around. Let me talk with you guys. How y'all feel about what's been going on? How y'all feel about policing? How do y'all feel about the protesters? Do police signify safety for you, right? Of course, the kids are going to say yes. Okay, cool. Great. You know? Let's talk about, or let me see a set of hands for anybody who's had any kind of negative reactions or negative interactions with the police. Now, imagine right in Beaverton County, maybe, I just imagine, maybe one or zero hands might go up. (laughs) Maybe, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But I mentioned to you all that I actually went to school at King Drew, right? And King Drew, which is in Compton, it's actually right on the borderline between like L.A. Compton and Watts. Um, it's across the street from the number one trauma hospital. What was once the number one in the 1980s was the number one trauma center in the nation, right? But 
that school there had um it, it was it was it took a long time for it to get built like something like 20 years in order like to the 20 years of ardent public striving you know and support right in order to get it you know kind of in the mix but it's still located on the borderline on the borderlands between la compton and watts and so in that sense and in that space you could tell that there was a, a certain somebody saw where the school here was located looked at who was going to actually be who, who's going to be inside the school and started thinking about okay well we need to get police here mm. <laughs> like automatically we need to actually have police right here right uh if for no other reason than to protect mm-hmm. right if you ask any of my uh classmates at that time right you know how many of you all have had say less than favorable interactions with the police just in my class alone probably the majority of hands would actually shoot up mm-hmm. right so what does that tell us just quite simply let's take a step back for a second right the same solutions that actually work over in beaverton don't work in compton mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean so so when we're thinking about right introducing something like 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 <laughs> like a blue lives matter symbol right like at my high school <laughs> would probably add like insult to injury mm-hmm. for like generation and it would probably trigger generational trauma mm-hmm. you, you see what i'm saying right mm-hmm. and in that sense it would also to contribute to the environment and to the atmosphere that would more or less suggest whether consciously or unconsciously that you all as students of color need to be policed and you have one of two choices for where you go after you leave these halls. Either you go on to school, right? Or 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 a job, right? Or you go to jail. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> That's literally that schools to prison pipeline. Yeah. When yeah. you add on some of the other layers, you know, like our school had a jail, a jail cell upstairs, sheriff station on the side where sheriffs would come out hoisting shotguns no. right as the buses pulled up. Right. Like metal detectors. You know what I'm saying? Like tardy sweeps, tardy rooms, dogs, the whole nine. So you add a Blue Lives Matter flag onto that school scenario and situation with those kids in the mix with that kind of history. That's not that's not smart. And it's not even about the officers lives at that point. It's about the students lives who we're who we're more or less trying to write off. Yeah. Right. Damn. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, what you described oh, yeah. about that, um, your school, and you said the, the school-to-prison pipeline, like, everything about that was preparing students for those two different options, right? Like, oh, man, that's... And see, that's that's those things, I think, that have been, you know, sold to the society as public safety. Like, that's public yeah. safety. We're keeping you safe. If we get rid of that, then we won't have public safety. But it's like public safety can take many different forms. Public safety could have taken uh, the form of you had a fucking health clinic and a mental health clinic and a um, <laughs> a uh, assistance clinic if you needed to get any kind of other assistance. Like all the things that would help you be healthy and safe and happy are public safety. But we have sold, we have sold our society this message that public safety means a guy with a badge and a gun. And that, and and yeah, so. And, and see, and then we go back to 
uh, somebody's getting paid money to have all these uh, prisons, mm-hmm. these privatized prisons, mm-hmm. and they have to fill them. They have to fill them up in order to make mm-hmm. some money, mm-hmm. you know. And why not? There, it's a as they say, the killing fields right up in there, the high schools. That, yeah, that's a great place to start rounding people up and sending them off to their future mm-hmm. of. You know, being a commodity. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. my goodness! Yeah, I'm disgusted. You, you know, you know. To your to your point, uh, Tori, you mentioned, um, um, you mentioned just a second ago about how um, um, w- when we're thinking about the 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 what the officers kind of symbolize, right? Like, kind of what they signify to the to to like their audience, right? It's it's a, it's a, there's a, somebody kind of thought that that was okay, right? It was a, it was a, somebody had to convince mm-hmm. the whole school board, superintendents mm-hmm. the whole night, yeah. right? Somebody had to convince, right, a bunch of people that this is actually a good idea. But is it a hard sell though, David? You what is what? that a hard sell? You know what? In, in a time, in a time Is that where a hard sell? It, it, it can be, and I believe that it was at a certain point in time. Here's why I say that. Because if you start to begin to look at when exactly schools started to get, this is what we call, right, militarized, mm-hmm. right? When you look at when schools started to get militarized and started to uh, allow for the occupation of police presence on school grounds, it happens right at the same time that we see across the nation the police budget skyrocketing and yep. them increasing their militarization. Yep. So at this time right here, we're talking about like the late 70s, very, very early 80s, yep. right? When we're starting to begin to see now, right, more federal dollars. Huh? What? Oh, wait. Well, I'm sorry. We're on drugs with me. Yes, 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 exactly, exactly. Oh, I said the war on drugs was also happening at the time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's the, that's the, the, so that's the larger context, right, in which we see these different movements here kind of, you know, popping up, right? So police now, right, on school campus, right, boom, that's a flash within the context of the war on drugs, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, The increased militarization of police, boom, that's another flash, right, within the context of the war on drugs, right? Here we see... Uh, uh, you know, the increased militarization and increased presence, right, of police in everyday social spaces. Boom, that's another flash. Here we see another increase, right, in the emphasis on punishment and punitive responses in policy reforms mm-hmm. for in, in criminal justice reform, mm-hmm. right? So, to the earlier point, right, reform has actually been historically part of the problem. It's actually been the problem, uh, or rather, it's created conditions for new problems to actually emerge, as opposed to addressing the problem at the root or the cause and developing maybe perhaps right a brand new approach or a brand new system, like what Tori was describing. Hey, what if we actually replaced all of those school resource officers with other kind of resource resources, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And and not only that, but the the so so. <laughs> Sylvia, to answer your question. That- Right? Is it is it is it that hard of a sell? It takes it's, us it's, at the voting box. That's, but it takes us at the voting box to kick the people out of the board, the uh, school board, be, you know, positions. You're out. 
because we should never have an all-white school board that's o overseeing a predominant school filled with children of color. That yeah. that there is a problem, you know. Yeah, and we right. see that all over there. But well, I think we brought one of those things to the story. You know, we brought an article about that uh, yeah. where we were where they were talking about that, like. You know that we had that these all white school boards were having discussions on how to, you know, educate children of color. <laughs> yeah. So you know, like that, that the way that you sell that idea, the way that you actually sell the ideology on a mass public scale, right? The way that you get people to buy into that new lens, that new paradigm, is you sell them right a language called colorblindness <laughs> that, that, so 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 you don't talk about you don't talk about you don't talk about you know uh desegregating schools right or you know hey we're against segregating schools no you actually uh, this is literally the strategy that lee atwater is explaining Mm -hmm. Right. To other politicians and other political leaders. Right. You literally use the very thing that's necessary in order to get right the very means of 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 the transformation. Right. You you say, OK, no, we don't want that over here. Right. Mm -hmm. So so in terms of segregation in schools. Right. It's just straight up. Well, no. You know what? We're not mm -hmm. against forced busing. Mm -hmm. Right. Forced busing is not a good who wants to be forced that attacks the very fundamental heart of what it means to be an american now my liberties are impinged upon so on and so forth but like that's how you sell it right if you can couch it within a a language that signals race right or dog whistles race mm -hmm. but doesn't really kind of put it that overt and out there that's how you sell it sylvia mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's straight up how you sell it. And that's what the educational system, at least in California. That's right. And even people of color will afford it. Come on now. <laughs> you know, that's the Kool-Aid they've been drinking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And, you know, and I'm not going to be, I'm not going to say I wouldn't have voted for it either. Because I'd be like, hell yeah, I want my, I mean, that's one of the reasons right? why my parents said, hey, you ain't going to these, to this local school. Yeah. we're seeing police at that school all the time. So no, I mean, you know, and yet at the same time, it's like, how come we don't have a school board that is reflective of those students? Is it because, you know, you don't think that you could trust us with the money that is going towards the school? I mean, can we not make decisions? Can we, you know, are we that ignorant that we can't? that we wouldn't know what's for the benefit of our own children, Maybe whether we should be teaching true history or your, you know, the white history. I just, mm -hmm. anywho, I could go on and on, on and on. No, I'm right there with you. As a matter of fact, that's actually, so, I mean, when we, when, when we talk about that particular article, right? Like, and, and, and that flag, right. Be becoming a major issue even for the folks in, in, in Beaverton, right, you know, which is, you know, a community that looks like the way that you described it to us earlier, Tori, like even that very issue in and of itself, like it, 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 it almost begs a question about, okay, well, how do we handle these issues like in the future? Or how do we handle these issues like if they come up again? Or 
how should other people kind of handle them? You know, the idea of it has to be forward moving and forward thinking. We can no longer sit back behind or 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 in a position where we are comfortable, mm-hmm. right? Socially. Mm-hmm. COVID-19 is is here to stay and so is white supremacy mm-hmm. unless we actually we take active steps to reduce <laughs> the transmission and this me the rate of transmission of this disease mm-hmm. unless mm-hmm. we take active steps right to make sure that we are properly not just insulated right but also to that we're looking in the right directions right to see where the hot spots are that means mm-hmm. that we that requires data mm-hmm. something very simple that like we can like just for 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 folks who struggle with the idea of um you know okay i, I don't I, I i mean it looks like yo we had obama you know what i'm saying man like yo man like yo we good right like i mean black folks can't have it that hard right like i mean for for for, for anybody who's still kind of struggling to see right beyond even the uh, the george floyd instance of police brutality it is very, very simple, right? When we're talking about unlearning colorblind racism, right? Colorblindness says, okay, you have, let's say, what are four institutions that people need basically in order to live, right? They need housing, they need healthcare, they need employment, right? And they need an education, right? Okay, so those are like kind of four basic institutions that Americans need in order to engage right in the full promise of American democracy and in order to live. Mm-hmm. Cool. If we look across those four institutions, just quite simply at the numbers, right? And we look to see who, let's take for example, in housing, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, out of, you know, black folks are what, 6% of the entire nation, right? So let's say out of the 6%, right, uh, 2,000 of them all bought houses this year, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, versus their white counterparts, right. right? Who, you know, for them, it's actually 20,000, right? Who actually bought houses this year. That means that those folks are able to extend their wealth, yeah. right, that much longer, or rather to the next generation. Yeah. If people are still struggling with the idea or the concept of recognizing the inequities that exist institutionally, then all we have to do just quite simply is go back to the data, take a look, Bureau of Labor and Statistics, look at different rates of home ownership just this year between blacks and like, let's say like the white counterparts or even, even some of the non-black counterparts, right? Pew Research Center did a study talking about or looking at examining the racial wealth gap in America. Mm-hmm. And I want to say it was in 2019 or maybe 2018. Mm-hmm. It's fairly recent. But, they, but when you look at the rates of home ownership, for all Americans, right? And you disaggregate it by race and you begin to actually see, okay, well, who's owning homes, right? Who has access to home ownership, mm-hmm. right? Versus who doesn't, right? You can begin to actually see the disparities in terms of the rates or amounts of black folks that have gained access to new home ownership, mm-hmm. right? And the amounts or rates that new that, that whites have gotten to new homeownerships, right? Mm-hmm. If we can begin to look at that distinction right there, just by looking at the data, then we can just quite simply dispel the myth of colorblindness 
and 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 in that space, right, of just walking in a de- in a larger awareness, mm-hmm. just being data informed, mm-hmm. right, about the disparities along racial lines mm-hmm. and across gender lines. Mm-hmm. I would even go so far as to say, even across like sexual orientation, mm-hmm. right, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to employment, mm-hmm. healthcare, right, and the workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, we can. That's how we can begin to see clearly, right, with clear eyes what the distinctions or what what colorblind racism looks like or what i like to call what racism 2.0 looks like Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. we got to go to the data we got to take a look at Mm -hmm. the disparities and the gaps in the institutions of housing healthcare, education and employment criminal justice system so on and so forth right because that illustrates the, the 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 disconnect right now you will now you will have your mind blown if you add a third dimension right in it called time mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so if you begin to look at the those disparities across let's say right we're in 2020 let's say all the way back to the 1980s so for the past mm-hmm. 40 years mm-hmm. you will see that not only does that pattern persist mm-hmm. In terms of right, the disproportionate rates of new homeowners, right, among blacks or between blacks and whites. Not only does that pattern persist, but actually that gap, it was it was yeah. it gets wider, right? The the, the the more forward that we look in time, mm-hmm. right? So the more recent we actually get, right? It gets wider, not smaller. Mm-hmm. So that should tell us something. Off the top, as an institution, right? If the school board, take for example, is not looking at the rates of graduation or completion, right, along mm-hmm. along uh, uh, kind of, you know, racial aggregate mm-hmm. lines, right, between their student populations. And, you know, they find themselves putting an overemphasis on police, mm-hmm. you know, and, their, and establishing their presence, you know, at school, rather than investing in some good teachers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a problem. That's a gap. Right. Maybe that plays a role in mm-hmm. the in the reason as to why, mm-hmm. you know, Johnny and Tramel didn't necessarily walk across that stage, but now have to go to a community yeah. college. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even the piece around yeah. um, not only changing the, the teachers. Right. But also changing the way the curriculum is taught changing the way you know uh, so i one of my most recent jobs was at a school district and it was a funded position to specifically look at attendance rates of historically underserved uh, students so black Mm -hmm. brown lgbtq right Mm -hmm. so that was our mission our mission was to go in and say okay what's going on what do we need to change how do we need to change it and it failed because we were doing just that, right? We're saying, like, look at look at the disparities in the way people are treated, the way people are disciplined, the extra help they don't or do get, the um, IEPs, the individual education uh, plan, um, who gets them and who doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. and that school-to-prison pipeline because you just see that, oh, it's, it's a discipline, it's a behavior issue. Yeah. You know, when it's a what's a under a historically underserved youth, it's their behavior. They're not fitting into our, you know. So we went in challenging that specifically, and yeah, it didn't work because the system itself is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We just want you to improve their attendance. We just want you to get them to school. You you don't need to come in here and tell us what we're not doing that may be causing them to not want to be in that school, right? <laughs> 
or to not feel welcome in that school. <laughs> you know, they didn't, they didn't like that. They didn't like that. <laughs> because that's one of those factors that's one of those factors in which like you're saying and i think one of the one of the positive things too is we have more and more of that data right because we have people saying we have to keep this data we have to show you know because they won't believe our stories so we got to play their game and show our work you know right like a fucking math thing show your work <laughs> so now it's like okay now will you believe us <laughs> yeah right yeah right like you know when the personal and the data comes together yeah. it's like yo yeah you know it's it's that's it's it's ridiculous that that folks have to go to that length mm -hmm. in order to persuade the system to correct itself however getting back to the point that we made earlier about uh the distinction between revolution versus mm -hmm. evolution right um reform ends up becoming the problem primarily because of that conservative mm -hmm. pull right not politically but rather right ideologically right the conservative pull of the system the conservative tendency of the system i, I don't even like the 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 the, the conservative uh, so I think entropy is actually probably a better word, right? Because it kind of sort of tends, even though it's actually in a state of disarray, mm -hmm. even though the system itself is in a state of disarray, it wants to stay right there. Mm -hmm. It wants to stay at rest. That's institutional inertia. Mm -hmm. The institutional inertia in and of itself will like, kind of curve any kind of radical reform effort to be within the space of normativity, right? Mm -hmm. Or business as usual. Mm -hmm. We don't want to create too many changes. We don't want to make too many waves. Mm -hmm. That kind of logic and thinking. Mm -hmm. But that's precisely the problem. Right, because it's <laughs> mm -hmm. working. It's working. Yeah, everything's working right now. That That's how it is. Why? A few people, but no, everything's working. That's right? what we get. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> everything is working except for you people. Right. You know, there's something wrong with you. Exactly. And, and 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 it's and, you know, I mean, I know you it's need not, to assimilate. Get your yeah. kids in order. Right. I know we can't yeah. say it's biological, right? So now it's it's cultural, right? You experience cultural deficits, <laughs> and you don't have yeah. the exposure. Yeah. Speak English because you're here in America. Right. You know, you need to. You know, don't spank. <sighs> your kids you know just do what we do here uh yeah 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 i don't know when, when the reality is really this uh, the, the the only the only thing right i mean the the bare minimum thing that we need i'm not even going to say the only thing because we've been talking about all these complex problems and they do indeed require as equally complex solutions mm -hmm, right and mm -hmm. i don't mean complexes in hard i mean complexes in layered yeah Right, dynamic, mobile, yeah. right, all of those things. So, in addition to that, right, like we we also have to have a kind of response, right, that 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 begins to take into account the complex nature of the problem in and of itself. So, one of the bare minimum things that we have to be able to do, and this is for like from an institutional lens, right, from an institutional perspective, like how do we move forward? First and foremost go to start listening go open up listening sessions and, and like forums where you can actually hear people's stories yes 
That has yeah. to be step number one. We have to share our stories with each other. Our ability to relate to each other is, is really, I, I, I'm sorry, our ability to sustain and uh, achieve a certain kind of uh, um, a certain kind of dominance, right? Like, you know, kind of in the animal kingdom, so on and so forth, right? Is is kind of sort of premised, right? Even within the, the logic, right, of kind of, you know, social Darwinism, it's kind of sort of premised upon our ability to communicate with each other, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's say that I don't necessarily believe in that, but I do actually believe in the, the significance of communication and the crucial role that it actually plays in terms of empowering humanity. Mm-hmm. What, therefore, would humans' goal be, right, if they were empowered and had maybe not so much like civilization, but just really the entire world at their feet, right? They, they, they had endless possibility at their feet. Mm-hmm. Well, the point, at least one of them, would absolutely be to build with each other, mm-hmm. to connect with each other. Off the top, I'm not going to actually try to just kill you off and take something that's like, nah, I'm going mm-hmm. a, I'm to a, I'm a, I'm a kill the hunt, bring it back to the tribe. And make sure that everybody gets what they need so that way we can all live and thrive and go out and actually build a bigger, mm-hmm. right, or build more or go off and start something new. Mm-hmm. But guess what? It's something that we can actually use and develop for the betterment and the empowerment of each and every individual on the face of this planet. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of new kind of thinking mm-hmm. that we're talking about here. So it's the distinction between FDR, the logic that informed FDR's New Deal versus the logic that actually informs what we call the Green New Deal, mm-hmm. right? In terms of its focus and also too, right, its its purpose, right? The goal, the goals mm-hmm. that it's trying to actually get after. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tori, you're on mute. Oh, so how do you think um no. I think one of the things is is there's that piece of getting to that, right? Getting to that ability to tell stories, to build relationships. Um, and I guess, you know, just from your perspective, what do you think, what are steps? What What are some suggestions, right? Because I think a lot of times people are, are stuck. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And not to say that you as a black man have to educate him. That's not your responsibility. And also, I think there is a piece of us all of us when we have an opportunity to share some knowledge that may help get to that new evolution. Right. Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess from your perspective, what, what do you think? What are the steps? What the first step? Um, and this is something that I've just kind of discovered just on my journey. Mm-hmm. First step begins with education. It begins with education and informing oneself, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Learning, oftentimes we utilize these metaphors um, that illustrate the values that we socially assign to learning. And those values that we assign to learning are oftentimes, they they privilege individuality, Mm -hmm. right? And and learning as a solo sport, right? Mm -hmm. But nothing could be further from the truth. In, 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 in every single aspect of it, if a scholar is sitting down reading someone else's writing in, a, in the middle of the cabin off in the woods, they're still in dialogue and conversation with somebody's ideas. Mm-hmm. 
right? Like there's absolutely no way for us to engage in the act of education, especially not like, I mean, let alone radical education, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in, in isolation, there's no way for us to do that, right? Without a sense of community, mm -hmm. right? Even reading a book, right? Thinking about previous thoughts, reflecting on your own, you know, kind of actions and the things that one has said, but it begins first and foremost with reflecting critically on your personal experiences, mm -hmm. right? So that's how we begin to start the inner work. Mm -hmm. So in that, that reflection, I mean, this looks like mindfulness. Mm -hmm. This looks in a lot of ways, it can look like mm -hmm. mindfulness. Mm -hmm. In some ways, it can actually look like you just sitting down and talking with your mama or your daddy, mm -hmm. right? Just, you know, hey, man, remember that time when we were over there at that place and then that, that thing happened? Well, and I would say that mindfulness in its essence is paying attention on purpose. Exactly. So if exactly. if you sitting with your mama talking about that and you are in that moment on purpose, that's mindfulness. Absolutely. You know, and I think that's what sometimes a lot of people go, oh, mindfulness, I can't. No, you're just paying attention on purpose. That's it. That's all you're doing. Moment to moment. That's it. Heck yeah. And like, and, and for me, right, like in addition to that mindfulness, I love that moment to moment because you're absolutely right about that. You know, m mindfulness is an amazing tool mm -hmm. that all of us have access to mm -hmm. <coughs> if we use it, mm -hmm. right? When we don't use it, then it's not that we necessarily lose it, but rather we just get further away from it, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's, there's that much more ground that we have to now cover in order to close down that gap or in order to close down that distance. Mm -hmm. But understand, though, understand. It's worth it. That journey, that struggle, that trip right there is definitely worth it mm -hmm. because in closing down that gap right between you and your mindfulness, mm -hmm. guess what you're doing? You're closing down that gap, which is the mm -hmm. very same thing. You're doing that work internally, but that's the very same thing yeah. that we need to also to do institutionally and socially. Yeah, <laughs> for real. Right? Yeah, yeah. So For it sure. starts with that personal reflection. It, it starts with the personal sure. reflection on your own on your own experiences, mm -hmm. right? And 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 I would say the mindfulness. It, it's it's very very important to be mindful to reflect on your experiences that you've had, you know, um, along the lines or within the realm, right? Of 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 race, class, or just social difference in in any aspect or form of it right mm -hmm. and don't just reflect mindfully on just the negative you know uh experiences mm -hmm. that you have if you if you if you can if that's the first thing that pops up okay cool so there's some acknowledgement that needs to happen mm -hmm. there we got some work to do but also too let's put in the work to kind of think about some of the more positive aspects of it too right up and by positive i mean one where you're able to one where you were able to make a connection with somebody that made a difference in their lives mm -hmm. Right. So that's where I would say it would start. You know, that that's like the kind of first step. So, you know, kind of uh, uh, um, reflecting critically on your personal experiences and then moving to dialogue. So it's personal experience, excuse me, critical reflection, dialogue, then personal experience. Right. So. Or excuse me, I'm sorry. Wait, I said that in, in the reverse order, personal experience, <laughs> dialogue and then critical reflection. Mm. Your personal experiences are your own things that you've actually gone through. That's where the inner work happens. That's where your heart work begins. When you engage in dialogue, that's when you begin to engage in the hard work, right? Mm -hmm. That's the hard work. That's the that's the work where I'll tell you a brief story, right? Really, really, really brief. 
So just as recently as like a couple of weeks ago, I had um, one of my white one of my white friends, right, or one of my white colleagues from um, uh, my previous job that I used to work at, um, kind of came over to me and was like, you know. Dame, we were actually like kind of all a part of like this group meeting. It was a little bit of like a, a reunion on Zoom. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, they were like, yo, man, you know, Dame, hey, I'm not even going to lie. You know, I, I, I did some things that were, you know, not not too on the up and up side. You know, I was I was blind in a lot of ways. And, you know, I, I, I definitely criticized, you know, I had some criticism and made, and made some decisions, you know, because of that. Mm-hmm. It was their attempt to actually like in a sense, apologize publicly. Right. But, but, but it was, that wasn't how I read it initially. Mm -hmm. I just read, Oh, wow. They're making the first step. They're, they're, they're they're trying to step to me. They're trying to step closer to me. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Well, now I have the choice to actually walk Mm -hmm. back. Right. Or to stay right where I'm at. Right. Mm -hmm. So in that moment, in that space, you, that's where the courage actually comes into play at. You gotta, we, we, we have to tap into that deep sense of courage. I'm mm-hmm. talking about the kind of courage that allowed for Martin Luther King, right, and, 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 and Representative John Lewis, right, to get out there on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, right, mm-hmm. and to get up, step up in front of Bull Connor and then get their heads bashed in mm-hmm. and then march back across the bridge, right, talking mm-hmm. about nonviolence, right, we will <laughs> overcome, right, we shall overcome. I'm mm-hmm. talking about the kind of courage that it actually takes in order for... In order for, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> it, 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 it really, really in order for folks like I, I, I was thinking about using this, but I, I was kind of hesitant. I got to. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm so sorry. But I'm talking about the kind of courage that actually allows for John Brown to sit up there and call Frederick Douglass. Right. Somebody who's a coward because he didn't want to go out and lead the raid on Harper's Ferry because he was that about it and that committed to the cause mm-hmm. right of abolition um, mm-hmm. for those of y'all who don't know who john brown is john brown is a very legendary white abolitionist who mm-hmm. was really about abolishing slavery period mm-hmm. period he laid down his life you know and also right his son and his sons too as well right i mean mm-hmm. like any man who's going to give you any any person any mother father son, they're going to mm-hmm. give you a child behind this like mm-hmm. that's committed right I mean, it's 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 that kind of courage, right? The kind of courage that Fannie Lou Hamer had to have in front of right state representatives when she's just, you know, I mean, ain't, ain't, okay, I don't have all that college degree stuff, but mm-hmm. you know what? I I got experience, right? Mm-hmm. I got this experiential credit right here. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I'm saying? So you're gonna have to listen to this organic intellectual tell you off mm-hmm. in black English vernacular, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I'm not giving it to you in standard English. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of courage that it actually takes. That's the kind of those are the kinds of experiences, stories, and narratives that we have to, if we're trying to take the first step, we have to dive into that, right? After we do our hard work in between step one and dialoguing, we got to get out and we got to kind of learn a little bit about the history mm-hmm. of abolitionism, right, in the U.S., the history of the abolitionist movement, take for example, right? Uh, um, we have to look at folks like, you know, Tim Wise, right? Folks who who, who talk about folks who, who practice anti-racism, mm-hmm. people who practice love as a practice of freedom. Mm-hmm. We have to tap into that discourse to infer, to, to imbue us and empower us with that courage mm-hmm. to get out and to have that dialogue and to say, you know what? Okay. All right. All right. So-and-so, whoever, you know what? 
my bad. My bad. I was wrong. I was wrong in the two left shoes. Mm-hmm. And and you know what? I, I really want to actually make a change. And this here is the, the, the best way that I know how to actually make it. This is my first step. I want to try to do it. Can I, can I, can I help? How can I help? You know, um, can we work together if you have an idea, right, of something? But, you know, you, you don't have to just go up to, like, random black people and just, you know, just be, like, confessing, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm sorry. You ain't got to do all that. You ain't got to do all that. But start with where you know. Start yeah. with your circle, right? They could be friends. They could not be friends, but people who are just by simply at your job. And just, you know, it might even start with just something as simple as this is this is, this is real. Yeah. Head nod. Yeah. Yes, it might just be a head nod. Right. To start there, which can lead to a conversation about a water cooler, Mm -hmm. could lead to a conversation in the break room, which might actually turn into lunch at some point in time. And damn, you know what? You're not that bad, man. My fault. I was Mm -hmm. I was kind of messed up. You know, I was thinking through a through a a different lens, man. You know, and Mm -hmm. and, and I really thanks for lending me your glasses right Mm -hmm. quick, man. You helped me to see better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then and then reflect critically on that. Yeah. Right. And then repeat the process all mm-hmm. over again. So it's personal experience, dialogue, critical reflection. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh you're actually making me um think about my earlier position, which was the vulnerability uh you know, putting up the wall mm-hmm. uh, you know, in order to hear what their perspective is first rather than just uh being at peace like it doesn't matter whatever your perspective is it doesn't matter like i'm still going to be who i am and if you have if you have some thoughts about me or my people or where i come from whatever those are your thoughts but i'll be open to dialogue with you if you want to i'm having to rethink myself damon Hey, hey, you know, I mean, that's what we all here for, you know, right? I mean, yeah. like the very same things that we're talking about here. I mean, Tori just asked me a question about, well, where do we start? How do we do this? This is right. We, they just witnessed it right here yeah. and now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So the very same yeah. thing that we're talking yeah. about, we're also too living. And it's not just kind of offhand. This is this is these are practices that have been t- tried, tested and true and continue to, to be sustained you know, from as far back as, you know, the end of slavery, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. this, these are conversations and dialogue that actually, that actually put us in a larger, in the, in the context of a larger tradition. And if there's anything that I could actually share with just people who I come in contact with your audience, the viewers, the listeners, right? It's this, I need us to actually really, really, really go back to the beginning let's go back to the source Mm -hmm. right so we got to go back and revisit that history in a certain kind of way there's truth in jewels and gems that lie within that garden here's one of the jewels we have such a long and shared history of Mm. of of radical abolitionist uh, 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 traditions where not just black and white but black white Asian specifically here, right? I mean, if it's Chinese, Japanese, right? I mean, like Filipino, like, I mean, it's a, like there's such a rich history here. Mm-hmm. Part of this rich history involves the Underground Railroad, mm-hmm. right? Which most people think of it as a literal railroad. No, it's a metaphor, mm-hmm. right? For a series of interconnecting mm-hmm. o- and overlapping institutional, private and public resources that enable 
for black folks to get from slavery, from the plantation, mm-hmm. to freedom, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes freedom looked like the northeast of America. Sometimes it looked like here up in Canada. Mm-hmm. But here's what most folks don't know. And Sylvia, I'm talking about that shared history, right? Underground Railroad also stretched south. The Tejanos were also conductors on the Underground Railroad, which actually helped to which helped to allow for black folks in Texas to settle in a very small town, right, in Mexico, North Mexico, where they still keep some of those very same African rituals, traditions, and practices in play right here and out. They speak Spanish. They speak they speak uh, um, uh, a kind of a kind of um, uh, a, a, a kind of dialect that that I'm not familiar with off the top of my head, but. Just to illustrate this 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 rich history that is indeed uh, uh, it's multi ethnic right and it's multifaceted it's diverse in, in the purest sense of the word right Grace Lee Boggs John Lee Boggs right these are f- radical revolutionary freedom fighters from the past right Angelina Grimke right I mean like you know so on and so forth right I mean like we can just kind of go off and on and on to highlight. Just to make a simple point, to highlight one simple point, there is a rich history that all of us need to be more enlightened to or need to be more aware of. We don't have to know it like the back of our hands, but we just need to be aware of it. And that's the history of, of the struggle for liberation for black folks mm-hmm. in this country. It has always been black folks at the forefront mm-hmm. and black folks in mass, mm-hmm. black women, especially at the forefront, mm-hmm. leading from the front, from the side, from the mm-hmm. rear, from the middle, right? From underneath, from above, right? It's, it's, it's been mm-hmm. right, black women at the forefront, right? I'm, I'm, uh, maybe maybe the conversation for the brothers is a, is a conversation for a different time, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, like, you know, black men have, you know, also too been there, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's some questions about, you know, like how we're trying to, you know, assume, you know, like the reins of power and mm-hmm. stuff, and that's fair. But guess what? It's also our Chinese brothers. Mm-hmm. It's also our Jewish, our Jewish, our, our, our Jewish sisters, right? Mm-hmm. It's also too, right, our, our Cambodian brothers and sisters, right? It's also too our Mexican brothers and sisters, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like this is this is something that's such a part of a rich and shared history of struggle that is really kind of sort of like our own American history X. Mm-hmm. It sounds like we kind of sort of need to maybe <laughs> that would be maybe the first step going our own journey of American history X. Yeah. Right. We could start with Howard Zinn, yeah. Howard Zinn's right, uh, mm-hmm. a, a people's history or Ronald Takaki's A Different Mirror. Mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. a, a, a snapshot of American history for the history buffs and the folks who like to read or really just the folks who are just so disturbed by George Floyd's death. Mm-hmm. That will be a starting point. Yeah. That was uh, A Different Mirror. A Different Mirror. Yeah. By Ronald Takaki. He offers I'm gonna get that book. Oh man, it's an amazing historical portrait of uh, of, of of the history of the United States, but told uh, through a people's lens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. Um. Nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. That's. Uh, I think you just put it all very beautifully, and I think in a way that is accessible and. Um, yeah, I it, you know, I think I think you're 100% it starts with self. And and we've all I mean, we've talked a little bit about it on here on just our own journeys around um unpacking stuff and 
um, what internalized oppression does to you, you know, and, and, and that building up of those walls and, and not, you know, wanting to be vulnerable around certain people. Um, and so even unpacking that, like, where does that come from and why does that keep, keep me from making connection to some people versus other people? And yeah, man, well, we just, we went through another hour. (laughs) I think we got two episodes out of this. Hey! <laughs> Heck yeah, man! That's yeah, awesome. I was thinking part one, part two. Oh yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, nice. I'm. I mean, it's been a pleasure, Damon. I could freaking talk to you forever, and I mean, Same. don't even think you're gonna get away from me after this, because I'm gonna be like hitting you up, be like, "Hey, what you doing? You want to hang out?" Yes. yes. Want to hang out and chat? <laughs> want to Zoom hang out? That's, that's 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 all I'm gonna say is just yes. Yeah, of course not. When where? <laughs> um, because yeah, you've been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. I I think that I mean I can't imagine. I can just I mean just just the thought of like even that much more learning that we're passing on and. It's just freaking awesome. Just freaking awesome. You're awesome. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really sure. awesome. For sure. Well, thank you for giving us your time, too. Yeah, for Appreciate sure. You. For sure. Absolutely. Thank you um, for the opportunity. I thought it was, I thought it was, you, you, y'all, like I said before, y'all have a, an amazing platform and you do just the work that needs to be done right now. Y'all are creating the platform for it and it's, just amazing (laughs) thank you amazing (laughs) thank you thank you uh that makes me feel good um um that's all in my feels right now um so students about this uh, about uh, just to listen to the podcast and like kind of use i'm going to put this on like this our our uh our our action toolkit list i have a list of podcasts that i give out to my students to actually live listen to woohoo yay um (laughs) So nice. Thanks, thanks for being here. You're welcome back anytime. Just hit us up. We'll put you on, no problem. Um, and yeah, I guess uh, we'll contact you if we've got like something that we're like, hey, we need to process <laughs> this with you, David. Please do, please do. No, please hit me up anytime. Like, I mean, Sylvia has my number. Tori, yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure if, if if you don't have it, Sylvia, you're more than welcome to give it to her. My email, all of awesome. it. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's. I love, like I said, I love your show. Like y'all got something going on here that's highly unique. And I think a lot of podcasts are just now starting to kind of maybe, you know, kind of venture into this way. Right. I mean, you got a few that kind of popped up just this yeah. past weekend, right? right. You know, like, you know, from news anchors and stuff, you know? So, I mean, it's like, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's catching a little bit of fire, but y'all been doing this for like, what this is. A little season, over a year. Right? Yeah. Yeah. A little over a year. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, thank you. So, yeah. I mean, just keep yeah. doing it and keep going. All right. Well, we yeah. will. And yeah. thanks for being here. Until next time, everyone, nos vemos. Adios. Daisy, Daisy, what's your safe word? What's your safe word, Daisy?